Welcome to Married to History, where we try to be informative, entertaining, and family-friendly. Aloha, I'm Christopher. I have a fancy piece of paper on my wall that says that I know more about history than most people do. I'm Shirley. I'm a homeschool mom that relies on good curriculum, Christopher, and hairspray to teach our kids history. Hey, honey, I have a history question for you. I love history questions. And actually, I want to make this a part of a new series. New series? The new series is going to be titled Unimaginative War Names. So my question is... Unimaginative warnings? War names. Oh, unimaginative war names. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so our first question in the series is, was the Hundred Years War really a hundred years? Yes. Was it really? Yes. Like exactly like to the day? No. Well then, come on now. Okay. Follow-up question... It was a freaking 100 years. That's a long time. That's like a couple generations. Yes. They couldn't think of anything else about this war that stood out to give it a name. Like there, there was literally nothing else interesting or noteworthy that happened in this or like even calling it by the sides that fought in it that they had to call it 100 years. And what did they call it before those 100 years were over? Like when they were still in the middle of it, they couldn't have called it a hundred years war because it wouldn't have, they didn't know when it was going to end. Right? Yes. Okay, go ahead. So this is often a thing with wars. We today call wars by names that they were often not called at the time because clearly obvious reasons for why they wouldn't have any reason of knowing that, oh, let's call this one World War One, or ooh, (laughs) let's call this one the first battle of Bull Run. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good example. Okay. So, uh, well, okay. So a couple of things that uh, I think are probably going to blow your mind on this one. I can't so wait. first off, yes, indeed. It was fought over a period that more or less was about 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, no, they did not call it the 100 Years War at the time. And I'll be honest, I don't know what they called it at the time. They uh-huh. might. Uh, a common, t- common titles of the time were the War of Such and Such Succession, meaning that somebody was trying to become king or something uh-huh. of that nature. Uh, another common one would be the war of this year or the war of this season or the uh-huh. this, this king's war that there are lots of different common names that they could have given okay to so the name the hundred years war if i'm remembering correctly was not given to this period until the 1800s wait when was it How, oh, when did this, it happen uh, oh this is embarrassing I want to say this was from, I want to say this was around about the 13th, 14th century. So 1300s up to like the 1400s. I might be getting that wrong, but this is an, this is a middle ages uh, before the Renaissance war. But the name. To give you an idea of the timing, because maybe this will help you more. I'm like, because I'm struggling to remember the century off the top of my head. Uh So, you know, your Kings of England song, right? Absolutely, I do. All right, so if I'm remembering correctly, this is one that starts with Richard II and goes on until Henry V, if I'm remembering the order correctly. Uh, no, it goes on past Henry V. Uh, Henry, okay, so, yeah, I, Does it, I don't remember the order of my British William, kings as well William, as William, Henry, do, but, Stephen, Henry, Richard, John, but Henry, Ed, 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 Richie, then three more Henrys, John, or song, Edward, Edward, or the third, Henry, Henry, Ed again. Did you keep track of the Henry so you knew where to stop? No, I wasn't counting. Okay, so... <laughs> I, so I do not remember for sure which Richard it was. And now that I'm saying it, I'm second-guessing myself. Was it even Richard? No. 
but this is this is the war, the Hundred Years' War. This is the time period in which Henry V comes into his own. Okay. When Henry V is going to become king during this time. He's not king at the start of it, but okay. he's king like the middle, close to the end of it. I don't think he's the king at the end of it, but okay. he's the king in the middle part. Some very famous moments come out. So the play, King Henry V, uh, his St. Crispin's Day speech. Uh, the Battle of Agincourt, arguably one of the most famous battles in all of history. I know all, take, all of those names. Yeah, all I of, don't know what they are. All of this is part of the Hundred Years' War. Joan of Arc is part of the Hundred Years' War. Oh. She's at the end of this period. Oh, okay. Point of reference. Got it. Okay. So, um, so like I said, this is. Um, so this takes place. Uh, I want. Should I look it up? I can't remember the centuries. Yeah, I, I want to say it's thirteen to fourteen hundreds. My job here is to Google when you don't remember. <laughs> 100 years war wikipedia says 1300s am i looking at this right 1337 to 1453 okay so i was right yeah 1300s to 1400s yay me yay you so, yes, so like I said, they didn't call it that at the time. Nobody called it the Hundred Years' War until the historians in the 1800s or so came up with that name. That's several... And the reason... Okay. Let me finish, because you're going to enjoy this. I'm going to love it. The reason they decided to call it that was because they could not think of a better name for the period. <laughs> so they just called it the Hundred Years' War. They didn't break it up into these different wars and, and, and organize it like that. No, they just lumped it all in together and decided to call it the Hundred Years' War. That's freaking amazing so what you're telling me is that the hundred years war period is so insignificant that they just took a bunch of stuff and like lumped it together and like a eh, hundred no, years whatever no, 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 no. not insignificant at all highly significant if it was so significant, significant then why didn't they have a better name i don't know i wasn't there at the time okay i, I don't know why they just and why they chose to solve that but it's now become tradition so we can't <laughs> break it now Yes, so, you can. So even though we still call it the Hundred Years' War, I think just about any historian worth his salt is going to recognize that, okay, this war is more properly broken up into at least three different periods. The See, that's beginning, the I'm middle, saying. and the end. That's what I'm saying. They just lumped it together and gave it a stupid name. Uh, and it must I, not be important. And so I want to point out another thing that mm-hmm. is traditional about war. Mm-hmm. We Today, we tend to think of war like we've learned about World War II, for example, mm-hmm. in that it, there's a constant fight going on somewhere some part of it right no back in this time period there weren't always soldiers somewhere always fighting it there were often months if not years perhaps even decades in between battles during this period but it's all considered one war still it's all considered one conflict so the the most simplified boiled down version of it is that so if you remember because i know we've talked about this and i believe you should Mm. know this uh, the first king of England is William of Normandy, who yes. is arguably a Frenchman, descended from Vikings, but a Frenchman. A Norman, at least. Yes, a Norman. Part of the part of the difficulties that William and his successors are going to have for the next couple hundred years is this. They are the kings of England, mm-hmm. but because of their holdings in Normandy, they are still vassals to the king of France. This is an awkward okay. situation to be in, because you you usually can't be king of one land and then a vassal to somebody else or a, a servant, a follower, if you will, to somebody else. Is a vassal more like a nobleman or more like a peasant? A, a vassal is definitely more of a nobleman. A va- so okay. um, the, the vassal is the is the guy who you put in charge of your, of your lands. The king owns all the lands uh-huh. in France. Well, not all the lands at this point in history, but to simplify it, the right. king owns all the land in France. 
This land has been given to your family under your control. You are his vassal. When the king comes a calling to you, uh -huh. you give him what he asks for. That's within his rights to ask for. Okay. So the king, sorry, the king of France has that kind of authority over William and his descendants. But okay. William is king of England. So William owns a substantial amount of land and property that uh -huh. do not belong to the French king. That right. shouldn't be part of his vassalage. So this is where the, the rub comes in. Oh. Now, William does spend most of his life still in Normandy. He doesn't, I don't believe he goes back to England, um, or at least not that often. And when he does, he doesn't stay that long. I remember we mentioned this before, and yeah. it's just so stupid. How can you call yourself the king of England if you don't even live there? But whatever, keep well, going. Okay, so your confusion is one of the things that points out is continues to be a sore spot, if you will, or a confusing uh -huh. point for uh, between England and France for the next several hundred years, arguably for even longer than that. Yeah. So when we've come to the beginnings of what it becomes known as the Hundred Years' War, uh -huh. England has lost almost all of its land holdings in France, with one exception. And believe it or not, it is not Normandy. It is actually the southwestern part of France on the border with Spain and the coast. That Spain, is the one part, and I don't coast. remember what its name is off the top of my head. So Portugal? That, no. Portugal, <laughs> what did you say? Portugal you said... is on the western border of Spain and Spain alone. Okay, tell me where we're so, okay. looking again. Uh, so Spain and Portugal make up the Iberian Peninsula. Yes, that's France. southwest Europe. Yes, southwestern Europe. Yes, okay. Yeah. So right above Spain is France. And on okay. the coast, on the westernmost coast of France is a sliver of land okay. that still belongs to the English king. Got it. Uh, but all the other lands that William and his descendants have gained or lost through claims, marriages, wars even, mm -hmm. have all been lost. But they still own this part of it. Okay. So I do not remember exactly how this comes up, but if I, if I am remember correctly, for whatever reason, the French king decides, as has been decided by other French kings in the past, they don't like the idea that England owns this land. So the French king decides that, okay, he's going to take this land, or he's going he's gonna to do something to the English mm -hmm. king that the English king at the time doesn't like. Uh, find out who it is, because I want to say it's Richard II, and it's really bothering me that Tell I don't me know. Tell me the year again. Wait, so this is at this the beginning of the This would have been at the, the beginning of it, so this so would have been around 1337. Okay, um, the king. It should say it in this Wikipedia article, right? Does I would hope sense? so. Uh, I see Richard II, but maybe, hold up. Uh... <gasps> I remember now, or at least I think I remember now. What? I, I think I remember now. Part, part of the problem uh, was that uh, Richard II, if it was Richard II, he was arguably next in line for the throne. Because the only person closer to the previous king to have a legitimate claim was a woman. And his argument was that, okay, no, a woman can't be queen of France. I should be the next king. And the French nobles were like, uh, heck no, that ain't happening. So that might have been what started the war. So that would have been the thing that the French denied William that he wanted. So William would be the one who... Uh, who start? Or sorry, Richard. So that would so Richard is the one who did start the war, and it was because the French did something to him that he thought was wrong or didn't like. Well, I don't know the answer because it's complicated. <laughs> I'm like trying to skim it. There's I'm looking for a sentence that said King blah 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 of England blah blah blah. It, I don't see that. <laughs> I can't just skim it and find the answer. <laughs> okay. Edward III and then Richard II. So it was Edward III who was king at the beginning. So Richard II, he was the Black Prince, wasn't he? 
I don't. But uh, I don't he remember. was he African? I, no. Well, Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. In at this point in the history, whenever a whenever a character got the title black in their name, uh-huh. it was not because they were of African descent. It was usually because oh, they were they were bad oh, dudes. Oh, like they were a scary and dudes. Like a black sheep or yeah. just like. Darkness. All right. So I, oh man, I'm I'm getting all mixed up now. All right, so <laughs> so wh- whoever was king at the time, and yes, I'm kicking myself, and I'm l- I'm waiting for Andy to be laughing along as he's listening to the saying. I know who the king was. <laughs> and I mean, if we want to pause, and you can Google it really fast, you can no, find out no, and no, pretend it's, that it's, you remembered. It's, it's fair for me and my arrogance to give uh, our audience reason to belittle me and laugh at me if they know something that I don't know. <laughs> All right, so whoever the king was, yeah, mm-hmm. he was getting shafted. He was the next in line to the throne, or at least he had a more legitimate claim than any other contenders. And the only, or the most, okay. the, the most forefront person that the French had to offer was a woman, the daughter of the king who had passed away, I believe. So, Louis the tenth. Okay, because so, I'm super smart like that. So this is going to lead to war because, as is often the case, whenever the person who thinks he's supposed to be heir uh-huh. feels like he's not getting what is owed to him. Like William thought that he was getting shafted when he was supposed to get the throne of England, but Harold Aww. said, "No, nah, we're not going to give it to you." And the Danes also tried to take it from him. Anyway, we're going backwards there. Yes. So yes, he <laughs> gathers up an army. He launches an invasion of France with the goal of pressing his rights there and uh, take it to. If he can't get the crown, okay, well then he's just going to conquer the whole thing. Okay. All right. So like I said, there are three different periods for this. So th- the first period. That is not a very in-depth period. The English are going to land their armies in the north. They're going to attack a couple cities. They're going to seat and burn a couple to the ground. They're going to move along, and then they're eventually going to head up north, if I'm remembering correctly. So this is just in the northern parts of France. They never go, like, deep into France with this invasion. The French are going to send an army to stop them, but this army is defeated at... A uh, famous battle uh, that uh, whose name I can't remember for must not be that famous. But it it was a famous battle, and it's messing <laughs> me with me that I can't remember the name of. This was one. This was uh, if not the first time, this was a definitive moment in which the English proved that their longbows were the superior weapon and oh. will be the superior weapon for most of this war. The English government at the time was basically making almost everybody or a significant number of its own population in mm-hmm. every village train with the longbow, so that whenever there was reason oh. for war to come around they had skilled yeah. men ready to use this these things like a reserve yep so that's why they had an abundance of logmo men and yes at this battle whose name i can't remember uh the longbows are going to prove themselves invaluable because they are just going to slaughter wave after wave that the french are huh. so when the war begins the english super weapon is the longbow and the french super weapon which is going to maintain continue to be their super weapon through much of the war is going to be their heavy cavalry or at least that's what the french What's think heavy cavalry just horsemen heavy, knights on horseback okay got it yeah with full armor and everything like that so that's the, why they were called heavy because of all the armor got yes it. oh and light cavalry is usually there so, so heavy cavalry, i thought i was making a joke and you went with it okay heavy cavalry <laughs> the goal is to trod down your opponents heavy cavalry by equivalency is a tank light mm. cavalry by equivalency is a recon unit a guy on a motorcycle maybe has a rifle or something. He's mm. to scout around, and he's going to take pot shots at you if he can. Cool. Uh, light cavalry also tends to involve horse archers, but the Europeans weren't big on horse archers, despite 
plenty of other people having much success with horse archers. Uh, anyway, yes, at, at this battle, uh, the French also have crossbows, but the crossbows are going to prove themselves to be not worthy of comparison to the English longbows. Mm. If I remember correctly, the crossbows do hit you with more power, so if they get in range with those things, mm-hmm. they're going to kill you. But the range on the longbows, if I remember correctly, is insanely superior to that of yeah. the crossbows. And also because the crossbows are a mechanism, uh-huh. they break down, they have maintenance problems, right. and you have to be a skilled person to use them, whereas the longbows are fairly easy, they're easy to replace, mm-hmm. and the English have tons and tons of a reserve that have been working with these and know how yeah. to use them. Well, and they're slower to load, too, the crossbows are. So the French are going to get an, an embarrassing, crushing defeat, and the English are going to win a lot of claims, a lot of lands. And that's, uh, for the gist of it, that's how the first phase is going to end. There's there's not going to be a clear, like, oh, okay, the French surrendered to England and yeah. England gets all its land back. No, that's pretty much it. Okay, pause. Sorry, I need you to repeat this a million times okay. because I, I don't remember anything. Okay, so there's this land in northern France. Yes. The English say, mm-hmm. this is ours. French says, no. uh-uh. No. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. Oh. I was getting confused with something okay. else. Okay. King of England, yes. who may or may not be Richard II, yes. thinks that he has claim to the French throne. Yes. Because Louis X died, yes. and all he has is a female. Yes. So Richard is a daughter. A daughter. So, so the English king, who may or may not be Richard II, is mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go to France. I'm going to take my throne. Yes. And so he tries. Yes. Got it. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So to be clear, though, if I remember correctly, he doesn't... He might actually launch an assault on Paris. He might even take it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, is Paris there, in the north? Paris is in the northern part of France, yeah. Oh. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a lot of... So, I know of various campaigns, and I'm probably getting the order of them mixed up. And to be honest, the first part, phase of the war is not the uh-huh. one that I'm overly familiar with. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there is the campaign in the north, which may or may not have attacked Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, if he did take Paris, he didn't stay and maintain it. He took his army back up north uh, to uh, their goal was to hit Calais. And from Calais, they were going to get back on their boats and sail back to England, having proved his point, having taken spoils, having taken some new cities, but, they thought. But he didn't take the throne. Correct. He didn't take the throne. But he was like, eh, that's good enough. Yeah. So sometimes there's okay. the recognition that, all right, we're not going to be able to subjugate the whole thing. So let's our goals can be different for now. And I'll admit, I do not remember exactly what his goal was or if I ever even knew what his goal was at the time. But for anyway, that's okay. the, so, and that's actually what, uh, for the first part of the first phase of the war, that's pretty much mostly what this is going to be, is it's going to be English incursions into French territory. Uh-huh. The occasional French attempt to knock out the English incursions or to take that bit of land that the English still controlled mm-hmm. in the south. And the French army is just going to get embarrassed over and over again. They're not going to be winning any victories here, at least no big victories. The English are just going to trounce them over and over again. I have a name for the Hundred Years' War. What? It should have been like the War of English Bullying or something like that. Okay, I suppose that's fair. So then we get into the second phase of the war. Okay. So this is the one that I'm a bit more familiar with. This is where Henry V comes into play. Okay. So a couple of different theories here as to why Henry V launches his invasion. Whatever the reason was, he also builds up an army and he invades France. And he pretty much does the same campaign plan. He invades in the, the Normandy area, so the same place that the Allies are going to later on invade, which I think is where the first invasion took place also that we just talked about. 
Okay. Um, so he's going to invade that same spot. He's going to attack a lot of the same cities, uh, capture, siege, loot a lot of those same cities. Okay. He's going to make the same course. He also may or may not have stopped in Paris and the siege that are taking it before again it turning back up north. Okay. Now this point is where the Battle of Agincourt happens. So like in the first campaign, the French are going to eventually organize an army and the French Dauphin because I don't remember if the French have replaced the king yet. I don't think they have. I think the Dauphin is the quasi-leader, what? but I don't think he's been named king of France. I might be remembering They've this been wrong. without a king for, what, 50 years? It happens. A while. It happens sometimes. And what is this word you're saying? The Dauphin. I might be pronouncing it It's a French That word. was his title. So I don't know if that was the title of him because he wasn't king or if that was his title. I, I don't remember that. Is this is this a situation like Gondor? And the sure, what, what were they called? The, uh, it was the steward of the Gondor. steward of Gondor. So he was running the show. Is that what this is? So, but so <laughs> the thing that I think is different here though is that the Dauphin is not recognized as the legitimate, unquestionable guy running the show until there's a king. There he, were there were some factions that were not in favor of the Dauphin becoming king. Oh, if I'm remembering correctly, so he was running the show. Not entirely. So again, this is where one of the okay. I, did. I okay, might be getting fine. my details all mixed that's up. That's fair. But so whoever was in charge of mm-hmm. France at the time, like with the first invasion, builds up an army and goes to hit Henry V. And again, it's the same scenario. The French massively outnumber the English. The French are um, their the significant number of their of uh, their army is made up of heavy cavalry, uh-huh. and the significant number of Henry's troops are made up of uh, light infantry, longbowmen. And actually, okay. I don't think he has a cavalry force, or at least not a significant one by compare. Well, how would so they get the how would they get the the horses there anyways? They had to come by boats. boats. Yeah, they have boats. Boats take and a, they can buy horses when or horses take, take up horses a lot of space. That oh, that's fair. But they wouldn't be trained in in. Okay, that's fine. Horses go, are go trained on. in warfare. But like every random peasant's horse that they steal along the way. Okay, yes, those ones would have been more useful to them as pack animals. But okay, okay. that's fine. Go ahead. So this is where the Battle of Agincourt takes place, which is arguably one of the most famous battles in all of European history. I know I've heard that name a million times. Yeah. So uh, again, this is a spot where the longbows are just going to prove themselves, and also the French are going to prove themselves to be absolute idiots. So to be <laughs> fair, in the beginning. It would seem that all right, the French weren't actually idiots because the ground, if I'm remembering correctly, quasi-favored them. The battlefield is taking place on an open plain for the most okay. part. Foolish thing for the French. And the French have the high ground at this point. So from their equivalency. <gasps> they have the high ground? Yes. From, don't, don't say it. Don't do it. Don't try it, Anakin. <laughs> I have the That's high it. ground. I quit. End, end the episode right there. I'm done. <laughs> Go on. So, yes, the Fr- by the French perspective, their heavy cavalry is going to be able to charge downhill and just mow right over the English. Okay. All right. Great plan. A couple of things that don't work out so well for the French. First off, the battlefield is flanked by some fairly dense or dense enough forests. Yeah. So that's an ideal ideal place to hide unknown troops. The French don't hide troops in there. But it's kind of foolish. Granted, I have hindsight mm. on my side. Yeah, uh, it seems foolish that the French wouldn't have assumed that the English would have had some troops hiding in there. And uh, also, it rains before the battle, which means that that ground that the French cavalry is intends to charge down is going to be muddy. Oh no! 
So the, better than lava. So the the morning comes. The French do exactly what the English expected them to do. They charge downhill at mm-hmm. them. Henry has had a good portion of his men staked at the bottom of the the, the slope. They know that the ground is muddy. They know they're they. Uh, Henry has this all planned out, okay. supposedly, all the sources that I've seen. So, uh, yeah, he has his men along from forest edge to forest edge at his end of the battlefield. Okay. They put some anti-cavalry stakes in front of them, so that's something that is going to blunt the cavalry charge. Even okay. some of the most well-trained, disciplined horses are going to stop and buck their rider once they realize that they're about to run into a spear well, or something like that. Yeah, animals... Aren't stupid. And the whole time that the French are trying to, so they, first off, they can't charge and they realize that because the ground is muddy, but they are moving down the battlefield. And the whole time that they're doing this, they come under fire from British longbows. And if I remember correctly, also the forest's kind of thin as it heads downhill towards the English, which means that the French are forced to compact themselves more and more, bottleneck more and more as they're going down this muddy hill. Wait, who picked the battlefield? The French? Arguably, the French are the ones that pick the battlefield. Okay, go ahead. The English longboats are just pelting mm-hmm. the, the French cavalry as this is going on. Uh, eventually, Henry does have men hidden in the woods. Naturally. They come out, and they I don't think it's complete envelopment, but they more or less surround the French Dude. army, and it's, it's a slaughter. They absolutely devastate the French army. It's a major victory. Uh, the casualties are very much in favor of the English. I don't remember how many casualties they have, but it wasn't that bad. And the uh, and uh, Henry is going to take an awful lot of prisoners. It's going to be a, a great, a tremendous victory for him. Wow. Um, if I remember correctly, it's only called Agincourt because Agincourt was like the nearest town, and I want to say it was like forty miles away or something like that. Forty miles? That's not close by. It was the nearest one, <laughs> or at least the nearest one of significance. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, that's what, because one of the things I remember reading about was that they had trouble for a while deciding, what are we going to call this? And they eventually set it on, okay, we'll call it the Battle of Agincourt. Well, because you have to have some name. You can't just call it the field or the hundred years. And so, um, it's that night though, that Henry's going to do something nefarious, arguably one of the most nefarious things that's been done, uh, at least by Henry and possibly by any king. Okay. So I don't remember exactly how it comes up. Uh, either there's a rumor or there's a shout. Something is something is something happens at night that mm-hmm. gives Henry reason to believe that the French army aren't completely defeated, that they are still out and about somewhere, and that they mm-hmm. are going to be attacking, or that an attack is imminent, or something them. of that nature. And being frightened by that, mm-hmm. uh, considering that uh, he has a large number of French prisoners in his camp, he orders the execution of the prisoners <gasps> so that he doesn't have to fight a two-front battle. At night. That's dirty. But so, yeah, I, it, it makes sense. It makes sense, though. It, it makes sense from a, I want to win this fight, and I don't yeah. want to lose, or I don't want to die fight. But as much as it may make sense, yeah. there's also the it's also undeniable that killing prisoners is a big no-no. Well, yeah. Is is that one of those things that is just has always been generally accepted as, like, no, that's ungentlemanly, that's not okay? So it's unfair to think of it like that because, again, you run into the problem of different mindsets, different yeah. cultures in particular. Yeah. But For we'll say every, Europe. So it would seem to me that at least today the consensus, oh, and even back at that time, the consensus was that, no, you don't kill prisoners. Uh-huh. It wasn't necessarily because because that's just the wrong thing to do more so because you could ransom them maybe mm. uh, more so that the, the potential for ransom than the it's the right thing to do but 
at the same time period in plenty of other places in the world, mm-hmm. including in Europe. There were plenty of guys around there that didn't have any problem with executing prisoners. Yeah. So one of my favorites to quote has always been a Shaka Zulu. So much Art much of later war. in history. No. Art of... Did you just say Who's Shaka Art Zulu? Art of War Who's the Art of War guy? Sun Tzu? Oh. A couple thousand years earlier than Shaka? Z. There was a Z. <laughs> I really, really thought that's where you were going. That was your... But then you... <laughs> something apparently <laughs> i'm sorry are you it seems like sun Tzu would have said something about this situation uh, i'm sure he, he did say something about prisoners <laughs> i don't remember what he said the close well okay so it seems to me i could be wrong but i would guess that shaka Zulu, or sorry that shaka zulu and sun Tzu would be at, at opposing odds okay. at this time so what did if Shaka I remember say? correctly, Sha- uh, if I remember correctly, Sun Tzu said something to the effect of, "In battle, you must give your enemies the illusion that they have a possibility of retreat, mm-hmm. so that they won't fight to the death. They won't fight like lions." Mm-hmm. No, so no, that actually doesn't go along with what I was about to say. Sorry. All right. So going back to Shaka Zulu. Okay, Shaka Zulu. Got so it. Shaka, Shaka Zulu said that um, it is wrong to let an enemy escape. Or I, I don't remember his exact words, yeah. but the point was basically, it is wrong to let your enemy escape because he's eventually going to come back. So Shaka would have said, no to, no to prisoners, kill your prisoners, or well, not necessarily Wait. kill them, but at least ca- capture them and keep them in prison. Don't let them get yeah, away. because if they get away, then they'll come back to hurt you. So okay. there, there, there's been a different mentality of what to do, what is right to do with prisoners or whatnot yeah. throughout history. There have been plenty of people that have said, no, treat prisoners like uh, as if they are honored guests. And there have been plenty of people that have said, prisoners, that's just more people I got to feed. Heck with that. And right. then there are other people that have been like, oh, some of you are good and I'll keep you alive for my prisoners. And others of you are not worthy of me. So, yeah, I'll just execute you. It's, right. There, there, there's no truth. Like so many things that are determined by culture, mm-hmm. there is no universal okay. law. There's just what we've gotten into the habit of doing. And there's almost always going to be somebody around who's willing to break that culture or a different culture that that opposes or goes against okay. the culture of another. You you just came off really strong against Henry V killing all the prisoners. It sounded like it was more that of a was universal. N- no, that was not my intent. Thing. My intent was just to communicate that this is arguably the most nefarious thing that he's Got going it. to do. and. I was about to, arguably also the, the most nefarious thing that's going to happen in the war, the okay. whole of this war. All right, so again, same thing, though. Henry does not stick around for the whole of the conquest. Mm-hmm. I believe he goes back to England, but he does keep his armies in France this time, or at least he sends other armies in France. Because by the time we get to the third phase of the war, the English <laughs> have uh, control of the entire north of France. So there's a... I think it's the same, but I could be wrong. Uh, there's a river in France that's shaped kind of like an L. Mm-hmm. It cuts off the north and the east part of France from the southwest part of France. Okay. And the English, if I remember correctly, they now control everything to the north and east of that river. The French only have the lower part of the country. Dang. Yeah, I think part of this was because the uh, Brittany, uh, are you familiar with where Brittany is? Um, no, I think she, did she move back to Utah? What are you talking about? Sorry. Brittany is the name of a province <laughs> in France. That uh, that little spear uh, that, that I once called the nipple of France, that little spear in the yes. north part that goes off to the west. I'm aware. That area is called Brittany. If I remember correctly, Brittany was not part of the French king at the 
Kingdom at the time. I believe they were independent. And mm-hmm. I think that they were on the side of the English for at least the beginning portions of this war. So the English didn't control that. At least I don't believe they did. Um, but they did have most of the rest of France. And the English are famously besieging the city of Orléans. Or um, I think they pronounce it Orléans or something like that. Right. I, I don't remember how to pronounce it. Um, That's and fine. They're French. We don't so care anyways. If I remember correctly, there are some who have theorized that, okay, if uh, Orléans falls, then the English win. Because that's the last major city or the last hope the French have of stopping the English from crossing the river and just getting into the rest of France. Uh, so this is the point in time where Joan of Arc is going to show up. Got it. Uh, she comes from the western part of France, if I remember. So in occupied English territory, if I'm remembering the geography right of the time. But yeah. she, but she's created a, she's established a kind of a rumor for herself as being blessed by God. And she has. She saw a freaking angel. The angel told her to go that, lead the French That is one of the stories, troops. yes. So she, Don't be so flippant about so it. Yeah, she goes to the king, <laughs> she delivers her message, and she is credited as being the hero who will eventually liberate the siege of Orléans. Mm-hmm. So the city is free. And then uh, she, there's going to be another pitched battle where the English are going to try to resume the siege, I believe. Uh-huh. And she convinces that army to just turn away, to walk away. I don't remember if it's because they're scared of her or maybe they were low on supplies or something. There was uh-huh. different rumors about why that happened. But anyway, she, she frees the city. And uh, it's at this time that the French decide to crown the Dauphin, even though they don't have Paris yet. Because I don't believe they're going to retake Paris before Jeanne is killed. Okay. Um, so th- this is the turning point of the war. Things start going better for the French at this point. Because, yeah, Jeanne is just a boon to their morale. Did uh, you call her Jan? That's If I remember correctly, that's how her name is actually pronounced. It's Jeanne. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, you're throwing me off. You have to call her Joan because everyone in, in America knows her as Joan. <laughs> I, I will try to remember that. Do you really think, call her Jan? I think whenever I use the full title, Joan of Arc, I say Joan. But uh-huh. whenever I'm just referring to her by just her name, I think I say Jan. Really? Yeah. Okay. Go on. She is, because of her victories, because of her influence, so obviously the English are going to be very, very upset with her. So they're going to put a huge bounty on her head. Uh, she is eventually captured in battle, not by the English, but by one of their allies. I don't remember who. And uh, they're going to hold her for ransom, uh, waiting to see who the highest bidder is going to be. Because uh, they could sell her back to the French or they could sell her to the English. Right. If I remember correctly, uh, the French don't even try. Supposedly there is some money donated by some of the French nobles and even some of the commoners to pay the ransom for her. But the Dauphin, who is now king, takes the money and keeps it for himself instead. So the Engl- that or the English just outbid him. So the English get her. And, yep, she's uh, tried as a witch. Uh, there's a really good movie about this. It takes a lot of historical liberties, but still a good okay. movie called The Messenger. Uh, I don't remember her name, but the girl from uh, Fifth Element is in it. The girl with the orange hair from Fifth oh, Element. She plays uh, Joan of Arc in it. I know her name. Mia, Mila. Mia, Mia Jovakovic or something like that? Yeah, it's something like that. Mila yeah, I, I, I don't remember her name, but, yeah, she. And I think she does a really good job in it. It's got a lot of other good actors in it, like Dustin Hoffman, enjoyed his part in the movie. Oh. Anyway, so it's a good movie. I, 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 it's rated R, so don't you let don't your kids watch it. it. 
from a historical <laughs> perspective, I think it's a good enough movie, an interesting movie. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so that's how uh, Jan uh, ends, uh, ends up getting knocked out of the picture. She's eventually going to be uh-huh. tried, found guilty for heresy, and she's going to be burned. And that's the English, I think, were hoping that with this they're going to crush the French morale, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. French morale stays high. At some point in this, at this tail end of this conflict, the French are going to finally have something that they can bring in to outmatch the English longbows. Mm-hmm. Cannons. They're going to get a hold of cannons. Oh, we get cannons now? Yes. They may, if I remember correctly, they're going to make their debut in this conflict. 1400. At the tail end of this conflict. And they're going to, so they're now, granted, they're not as effective as the cannons that we wow. tend to think of. Like, we tend to, okay. I think most people, when they think of cannons, they're thinking like ship cannons or they're thinking like a yeah. Napoleonic error yeah. cannons, things like that. Okay, yeah. no, we're not, we're not at cannons like that okay. just yet. We're very primitive yet still effective. Are cannons. we talking? Are we talking fireworks like the rockets of like China? No, we're talking a little bit more. Uh, uh, we're talking more like a big fat tube, the uh-huh. uh, um, likely large enough for a person to crawl inside. Maybe not That's quite that large. big on uh, on primitive wheels that you really couldn't okay. aim or anything of that nature. You point it in the direction you want, and it was kind of a hoping game that it's actually going to go as far as you want and hit the thing you want it to. Dang. Yeah, so that's going to help the French out as well. Uh, eventually, the English are going to completely withdraw from the continent. They're even going to lose uh-huh. that sliver of land that they had down in the beginning of this conflict. Right. So the 100 Years War, even though there are many, many English victories, and even though at one point the English, I think, control more France yeah. than the French do, eventually the French are going to win, and the English will lose everything they have on the continent. Dude. Okay, I looked it up. The Dauphin, or however you pronounce it, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. It looks like Dauphin. That was just the prince. Okay. It was the heir apparent, the king, the eldest son of the king. Okay. So whoever the king of France was at that time, because obviously we are way past the conflict of like Louis the Tenth dead. Oh no, it's a girl. Yeah. So we're clearly way past that. But yes. yeah. So he was the he was the heir apparent to the throne at that point. And if I remember, if I'm again remembering correctly, I think one of the reasons for why the Hundred Years' War kind of ends at this point mm-hmm. is not so much just because, okay, well, the French have gotten everything back. In part, mm-hmm. the French might have gotten everything back because I believe it's about this time that the War of the Roses begins. So I the English say... have their hands full with more important or rather more close to home matters. Uh, yeah, because I was going to say Henry V, that gets us like close into the, the, the War of the Roses mm-hmm. time. Dude, so English are like, never mind, we got our own issues. <laughs> Something like that, yes. <laughs> Talk to you later, France. <laughs> That's crazy. So the Hundred Years' War is probably, with the exception of the French Revolution, I don't think that there's any point in history where the English and the French hate each other or uh-huh. are as just eager to fight one another, destroy one another as has ever been. And I think that's also the high uh-huh. point of the English in ever having any chance of actually coming out of Earth. I would dare say that the Hundred Years' War is also the point in time where there might have ever actually been an end to their rivalry. Because, uh-huh. like I said, the English, they had a significant portion yeah. of France. It's possible that they could have pressed and discounting the possibility of rebellions and how difficult it would have been to hold on to France. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the closest that England ever came to subjugating France. And France never comes close to subjugating England during Dang. the whole of their their rivalry. Right. And if I remember correctly, yeah, they, they're rivals from almost the point that uh, William takes over all the way up until Germany gets unified. And it's only after Germany gets unified that France like finally decides that, okay, well, we still don't like the English, but 
we've we've got bigger yeah. problems now. I wonder, do they have a better name for this war in France? Because it, it seems like it would be a bigger deal to French history than it mm-hmm. is to English history. And we call it the Hundred Years' War because that's what the English call it. So, like, do the French call it, like, the War of English Aggression or something? <laughs> the it's War possible. of Northern Aggression? It's possible. I do not know what the French call it. <laughs> cool. Like the Battle of the Greasy Grass or Custer's Last Stand yeah. or the Battle of Little yeah. Bighorn or the Battle of Manassas Junction <laughs> versus the Battle of Bull Run. I do not know what the French call this war. Yes, if you look, at, if you look it. it up in any English textbook, yeah. it's going to be referred to as the Hundred Years' War. But they didn't call that till the 1800s? Yes. That's so I don't remember. I want to say it was like in the 1830s they gave it that name, but I'm not That's positive. That's so weird. What did they call it before that? I don't think they called it anything. It was just... So, so keep in mind, you're th- now you're thinking about modern-day curriculum <gasps> where that didn't exist in the past. <laughs> I so, uh, but I, you have to have a unified I'm way trying to, talk to remember about when. If, I'm trying to remember when, and if I recall correctly, like so historian, so, there have always been historians, there have always been huh. people that wrote history, but history as a study, as a, as a focus, as a college aspect... Kind of a thing that mm-hmm. is actually all fairly new. I want to say it didn't become a real thing, like a professional thing, uh-huh. until even the early part of the 1900s. No maybe way. the tail end of the 1800s. No way. Don't believe you. Yeah. So there would have been, there were like societies, there were organizations uh-huh. that were interested in it. But as far as it being an academic thing, no, that's actually very recent. That's crazy. Recent by compare, like within the last hundred well, years, maybe a little over a hundred years at this point. Yeah, but as we've established, a hundred years is a long cause time. Because I want to say it was, it was something that came out of the progressive era, the idea that this was going to be a regular, legitimate field huh. of study instead of like a hobby kind of thing. Wow. I, I'm probably not saying the words right, but there there was definitely some shift in the focus of, of the, the academic pursuits of it, the academic mm-hmm. licenses and credentials, if you will, mm-hmm. of being a historian that changes in the, or that comes into some kind of new legitimacy in the progressive era mm-hmm. or around about the progressive era. Very cool. Yeah, I think so. History is cool. Sometimes it is. So I, I wish I could remember the name of that battle because there are some other battles that takes place in the Hundred Years' War that are some just pretty cool stories where, for the most part, there are plenty of times where the French should win. I mean, they have the numbers, they have the resources, mm-hmm. they have the land, that that's they their the home territory. Ground. Uh, and yes, on at least one occasion, they had the high ground. Mm-hmm. Some of the other occasions that I'm thinking of, no, the British had the high ground, so that was bad <laughs> for the French. And there's some pretty cool battle stories that have come out of some of these, but for the most part, the, all the famous battles that I'm thinking of, for the most part, it's all basically the same thing. The English form a line, mm-hmm. and their longbows just repulse attack <laughs> after attack after attack by French crossbowmen or heavy cavalry. Yeah, but now the French have cannon. Yes, and cannon are going to be able to outrange or at least outmatch the longbowmen or at least offer them stiff enough competition. Very cool. Good for them. I would imagine the English would disagree with you, but <laughs> well, I guess so. that would be something that I'd be curious about. I wonder, I, I wonder how many, first off, I wonder how many British and French people today even know that the hundred years war happened, much less any details about I'm it. I'm sure they know about it. 
American kids learn about Joan of Arc. I'm sure they learn about the uh, Honey, there are also War. American kids where if you ask them about the Civil War, they're going to think you're talking about the Civil Rights Movement. No, no, no. Okay, they I've, learn I've, I've about the, it, I've whether the, they remember well, it or well, not. That's one thing. I've, I've seen videos of the people on the street where they go up to people on the yep. streets and they ask you, "What's uh, what, what was the name of the first American president? And they'll yeah. say something like, Lincoln. we have presidents? I didn't know that. <laughs> no, they say Lincoln. The, the point is that there are plenty of people that can't uh-huh. answer these basic questions. So uh-huh. I wonder, yes, what the average person in Britain or France uh-huh. thinks of about the the Hundred Years' War. I wonder uh-huh. if there are some Brits today who are thinking that, oh, I wish we'd finished the job back then. I wonder if there are some French people today who <laughs> deny that they lost at Agincourt or some of these other battles. I don't, I don't know. Well, there's idiots in every country. There are differing opinions, yes, in every country. There are foolish people in every country. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to hear a future episode with more information about today's topic, contact us on Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at Married to History Pod. Also, please contact us if you have a silly question idea or if there's something from history that you would love to learn about. Just be sure to specify in your message if it's indeed silly or serious because we don't want to treat a genuine quest for knowledge as a joke. Talk to you next time. Bye. Oh, not bye-bye yet, because I did just remember there is another movie about this. Another Um, movie. It came out fairly recently. You you remember Robert Pattinson, uh, the the kid from uh, Harry Potter? Vampire dude. Oh, yes, in the vampire movies. Okay. Um, He was in a movie. I don't remember what it was called. It's killing me that I don't remember what it's called. It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but he was in a movie where he played the Defaw at Agincourt. The movie was... The, the end of the movie is the Battle of Agincourt. The The movie is about Henry V and his rising to become king and then mm. going over and fighting, which will eventually lead to Agincourt. And yeah, the Robert Pattinson plays the Dauphin. Good for him. Yeah. I do no not know if the Dauphin was actually at that battle or not, but he in the movie, he plays the Dauphin and he's there. And he plays an arrogant <laughs> Frenchman, I think, very, very well. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it now. Maybe. It might also be rated R because then I won't history movie with <laughs> battles in it, and they 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 tend to like uh, any movies with action in it to get R ratings. Well, they don't give R ratings blood. to ones that have pornography and whatnot in them. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>